You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The JSC has closed its doors for another day, so it's time for the five o'clock shadow. And as always on a Tuesday, it's the double-headed Dream Team edition with David Shapiro from Sassman Securities in Johannesburg. And from Cape Town is Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth. Joanne, this is um, two Tuesdays in a row. I mean, it's, it's almost like a residency at Las Vegas. You remember when Elvis uh, did, I think he did four <laughs> years there. He had this residency and you, you've suddenly become entrenched on a Tuesday. You've got a residency. And so, so welcome. And um, Okay, well, as long as that's not... Hotel California. No, you can <laughs> okay. you can always leave. <laughs> I understand that. Joanne, David, and I were talking about OPEC yesterday, and we both came to the sort of rash conclusion that if we were short-term traders, maybe it might be worth having a nibble on the short side because you know these things always break up. These agreements they're great in theory, but they don't work out. I've got another theory now, which I want to run by you in particular. Commodity prices I love because they're so simple. It's demand and supply. And OPEC Plus has a grip on the supply side. So they can do this and they can do that as they illustrated over the weekend by cutting uh, production from May the 1st by 1 million barrels per day. So they've sorted out the supply side. Obviously, there's other things, renewable energy and shale and all that stuff and people outside of OPEC+. Plus. But on the other hand, demand is a different story completely. I think that this surprise move is all to do with what they think is future demand. And I did a little bit of stuff on commodities when I was a commodity trader. And there's a, there's a couple of vessels. One is called a VLCC and another is a ULCC, very large crude carrier, an ultra-large crude carrier. Now, these are gigantic vessels which transport oil to from one place to another. It's not that easy to phone up Aramco, the Saudi state-owned oil company, and say, I'd like an ultra-large crude carrier to go to Hamburg or to China next week. It takes a lot of booking. It takes a lot of logistics. It takes a lot of bureaucracy. So what I think has happened, Joanne, is that OPEC Group has said, well, we haven't got as many bookings later in the year as we would have done. And that might be to do with the slowdown in the or the perceived slowdown in the world's economy. So supply is one thing they can control it. But demand is another. They can't. That is my theory. And there's two things here. What do you do with oil? And secondly, is it a sign that the world's economy is slowing down? Over to you to shoot me down or to bolster me. No, I'm, I will completely agree with what you've said. Um, John Authors wrote a very good piece on that this morning. He said um, OPEC is clearly trying to control the price of oil because it sees the demand is falling. Uh-huh. This, is not a, this is not a cut in oil demand to try and push the price up. It's to try and keep the price at current levels. Don't forget the Americans were also supposed to be buying oil for their strategic petroleum reserve, and they turned around and said they weren't going to keep that deal. But I think if you look historically, this feels more like a cut to protect prices than a cut to push prices up, and I think they're seeing a demand weakening. So I I totally agree with you. I I think this is not a... It's not a bullish argument for oil. It's just keeping the oil prices at constant levels. However... From a longer-term perspective, I think oil equities seem like a very good idea because their their multiples, the P multiples, are very low. They're still spewing enormous amount of cash. And going back to the whole ESG movement that we talked about last week, you've got so many countries and companies not being able to invest in oil. I think you're going to start seeing pressure on the CapEx argument. So short-term, I agree completely with you. Longer term, I think oil equities still make a lot of sense in client portfolios. Okay, David, would you concur with that? Again, supply and demand when it comes to oil equities. 
I, I think we spoke about it yesterday, but I agree. I think it is to keep the price where it is. And we've seen the response and reaction. There hasn't been any knee-jerk, you know, a real climb. Yes, the prices are up 5%, but I think there might have been people who are short or just balancing their trading position. Yes. But um, I, 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 you know, the long-term side of it, I think we're going to need a big pickup in global growth for that to happen. And I wonder whether or not those reserves are around and whether we will see these prices of 100, 110, or 120, and so on. So I, I, I remain a little conservative or reserved about, about the long-term prospects uh, for oil. And always remember that we do have the frackers who are around, you know, yeah. who, are, who are able to start pushing, should they? They haven't by choice because of uh, uh, pressure on them. So they're returning cash to, uh, you know, to investors. But, I mean, if it gets to that point, I'm sure they'll start to crack open a, a few more holes in the ground and so on. How long? It, it doesn't take that long either to, to get the stuff out. I, I don't just, know. I'm just – I'm worried about energy. You know what I mean? I'm worried about energy prices per se. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little more reserved. I'm not saying – Jane, this is not shooting down your argument, but I don't mm -hmm. know whether we're going to get those massive uh, returns that, that people are expecting. Look, I, I think my theory is more that the transition to net zero is not mm. going to be smooth. <laughs> uh, the world economy still needs oil while we transition mm. there. And I mm. guess from a d demand perspective, whilst I think the short term, I think we're going to see demand uh, falling in the US and other countries around the world, I think ultimately that there's a changing world order at the moment. And what I mean by that is I think we're seeing the rise of socialism everywhere. And I think governments around the world, in order to stay in government, are going to be pandering to the public. And I think we're going to see a huge amount of fiscal spending in the years ahead. And I think that's all very good for nominal growth rates. And nominal growth rates, in my opinion, mean higher demand and higher demand for oil. So there's a very short-term kind of recession of fears. And we can probably talk about the labor data that came out this afternoon but I think longer out, I think we're going into a very different world than the one we've been in for the last 10 years. I, yeah. Go okay. on. I, I, I've, got, I've got the same arguments about uh, everybody talking about, you know, we're going to run out of copper, we're going to run out of all these commodities. And I'm saying, hold on a sec. Miners are not that foolish. They, they know what's ahead. If they really feel this is going to happen, they would start putting money away, despite the fact that we criticize them and have a go at them, that they waste money. But if it is Yeah, but real, David, mm? it's slightly different in the oil complex because what you're seeing today is banks aren't allowed to lend money to oil companies under mm. their ESG agreements. So their ability to borrow money is becoming a lot more difficult, slightly different for the miners. It's not mm. quite as bad. But the oil companies, you've got enormous sovereign wealth funds not allowed to invest in oil. So you're going to see a lot of these oil companies, I think, go back to the private markets and they're going to they're going to struggle to get um, financing. Okay. But why aren't they doing it now? You know, well, they're not doing it now because their share prices are cheap. Why would you sell it to private equity at <laughs> these, these, these levels? I certainly wouldn't. I um, mean, the free cash flow, they can buy their own shares back. Mm. So, you know, if, if companies, they're going to have to find a different way to finance themselves. And I, I guess the reality is I just don't believe we go to a net zero world that quickly. And I think that's really what it boils down to. And I also don't believe that demand is falling off a cliff forever. So I think we have short-term demand pressures, but not long-term demand pressures. I, I think the world still needs oil. But I mean, maybe things like coal are different, but, but I think oil is, is, is still very powerful. 
it still greases the world economy. We're still addicted to oil. For example, you decided you wanted an electric car. Well, that would be great, but it would sit in the garage for five years until... Elect- you're talking South Africa. Yeah, electric point <laughs> sitting there. And if the electric point was put there, and I'm not being nasty here, I'm not being vindictive, uh-huh. it wouldn't last. It would be dismantled and sold as scrap. It wouldn't stay there. In, in fact, you, David, you, you know Wayne McCurry better than, than most people. Yeah. He's a car fanatic, as you know. Yeah. And I said to him, well, what about a hybrid? What about an electric car? He said, no. No, don't buy an electric car because the battery technology is going to advance and current cars when their battery runs out it costs a fortune to replace it he's still a, a petrol he's still a petrol head so i'm not sure i, I know you think that electric cars are are the bee's knees and certainly they yep. are in countries where they're every every mm. 50 miles mm. or so there's somewhere where you can plug the blasted mm. thing in saying is i think south africa is has the ability to go that route it's just what you're all forgetting here is even though the batteries don't last forever and that's pretty much nice percent of the value of the car the, the problem you've got is all the components that make up the electric vehicle and there's not enough commodities out there to keep to if you look at the numbers of what the world's predicting for electric vehicles and you look at what they have to get supplied from commodity companies there's a massive mismatch so it's a great story but forget about how south africa fits into this i, I think the numbers they're predicting are way higher than the, than the markets can actually produce hmm. they'll find it that's yeah, they will do. <laughs> okay. as, as you said, David, commodity. I just saw Maserati, just saw Maserati release their uh, electric SUV now, and they're talking about it. So everybody's coming out with it. And it's becoming not only fashionable, I think it's the right thing to do. Okay, and I think he, people want to do this. Point, David. Mm-hmm. I, I think from, you know, most people want to have a, a cleaner, green environment. Mm-hmm. But just be aware of the fact that in countries that produce electricity through coal, and not through renewable energy, your electric vehicle isn't as quite as a clean vehicle as you think it is. No, no. So when you have hydropower or you have massive power from renewable energy through the sun or wind, yes, your electric vehicle is saving the planet. But if your electric vehicle is being used by a coal, you're not actually helping much. So just no, be careful. I, I think that's people the intellectual about that. argument. There we that go. is the very intellect, you know. And But I'm saying most people are just going to want to have an electric car. If it's available for them and it's fashionable, they will buy the Maserati SUV, regardless of whether it's produced by coal power or not, or the electricity that they charge their car. So I think that's the fashionable side. And that's what I'm noticing wherever I go, whether I go to Boston, New York, or, or Sydney, people are buying electric cars. I don't think, I don't think they, uh, what's the word? They reason it out what they might be costing. You know, no one looks yes. at, a, at a solar okay, panel. There you go. <laughs> but, but no, you're talking at the top end. I mean, you mentioned the word yeah. Maserati a few times. I mean, the vast majority of people can't afford a Maserati. Um, and so electric vehicles get cheaper. Sure, it'll become more common, common garden. But I'm, remember, a lot of electric vehicles do well in, in countries where they have subsidies for these things. And I guess where I'm coming from is if they don't have the subsidies producing this, people aren't going to buy these cars. They're still, for the most people, unaffordable. And, and to your point about South Africa, yes, we, we've got an electricity crisis here, so it's it's hard to imagine that electric vehicles will take no. off. But 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 having said that, I mean, battery technology is improving, and a lot of people in South Africa will have solar in their homes, so they'll have to charge their cars themselves. So hmm. <laughs> we never it's, quite know where the future's going. But but my hmm. point about oil, I just don't see oil disappearing, and, and I don't see an electric vehicle in the sky. I'd still like to know this, you know, jet fuel. <laughs> helping on that plane. So there are other aspects to this as well. You don't want, you don't want a battery to drive yes. the jet. No. <laughs> no. <I can't. laughs> 
I was being flippant about South Africa, of course, because I know it's going to be a long time, probably a generation before you get uh, electric cars that are, are, are viable. But, but Lindsay, yes, we have to change our manufacturing here. You know, we manufacture combustion engines here and motor cars with combustion engines. It's a big part of our manufacturing. You know, there's, there's reason for it. Um, a lot of subsidies were given. We have to change in order to... Um, you know, to comply, not to comply, to meet the demand that's coming from the world. And we haven't got a plan here, but I mean, we can't ignore it. So I'm no, saying, David, that man- we haven't got a plan here, full stop. Full stop. Yeah. Full stop. There we go. Yeah, she yeah. expands no, the argument to the no, whole economy, yeah, not just I'm, the combustion saying, engine. We are major motor manufacturers. No, it's a are. very part of our of, no, of, of our manufacturing output. I, I haven't heard any, you know, we're talking about it, and I'm sure we've got papers, but this is going to come a lot faster than we imagine. So and, what, you, what uh, you're saying, David, I'm just going to interrupt here. Okay. What you're saying is that the manufacturing facilities for combustion engines in South Africa, subsidized as it is, but it's, it provides a lot of jobs, someday they're going to put a notice mm. on the on the board and say, sorry, we're closing down in six months because there's no yeah. more demand for new combustion engines. Sure. I mean, that's the... That's the extreme argument. But yes, we, we haven't got any plan. We're, and they're starting to nag and say, you know, we've got to uh, refit these, um, you know, refit these factories for what is going to be future demand. So, David, uh, I'm, I don't understand the world you're talking about. And I do understand that we have a huge amount of jobs being created in this country yeah. through making cars. But aren't those companies foreign companies? So surely... It's yes. in their best interest to say we've got mm. a factory in South Africa producing, mm. you know, left-hand drive German cars, BMWs, yeah. etc. Surely yes. it's from BMW to say the current factory. We need. But I'm saying it can't be the SA government. Yes, but you know what'll happen? Sorry. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. what'll happen if we don't, if they don't do that. And this is my worry: if we don't give them the opening to do so and talk to them about it, they just close down the factory here, and they'll be producing it in whatever other country exactly your point that's the point so it's bmw they don't need to manufacture in south africa they do have a point sooner or later they're going to say hold on a sec you know we don't need combustion engines anymore or we need electric uh they'll start reducing the output from south africa eventually close it so i'm saying we've got to come with a plan south africa's got to come with a plan to yeah, help I mean, like, to like I said, I know well. nothing about it, but I think yeah. you bring up a very good point. No, you do bring up a good point. We have to constantly be reinventing ourselves. You mm. can't rely on the past mm. if the future's changing, and I totally agree with right. that statement. Okay, we know nothing um, about cars. We've agreed with that. We know nothing about <laughs> combustion <laughs> engines or electric engines. Wayne McCurry will come in at a future date and set us straight. All I can say is, on the car story, I haven't owned a car for six and a half years, and I'm very proud not to have done. I've done very well without it. Thank you very much. I'm a non-polluter. You two are probably polluters. You've got a car, David. Joanne, you've got a car? No? Yes? Yeah, we, I have a car, but I hardly drive it. So does that count? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. You've still got a car. <laughs> okay. Lindsay, are people listening to this going to say, come on, guys, move on? And like, what else do we need to talk about? What's happening in the JSC? Excuse What's me, happening people, in world people, markets? Excuse me. Are you my director now? Are you my producer? What, what, what is that? 
Okay, here we go. I like this sort of banter. People love this sort of folksy stuff. Anyway, storm warning. Storm. You've met your match, Mr. Williams. Yeah, please, a match a decade ago. Oh, whoa. <laughs> okay, storm warning is the headline here. It's on Bloomberg. Equities are in the calm before the storm, David, with headwinds from bank turbulence and oil shock and slowing growth poised to send stock markets back toward their 2022 lows, according to JP Morgan strategist Marco oh, Kalanovic. Okay, now let me finish. This is. <laughs> this is. Why you two are running yep. the show here? Uh, the Fed indicated no intention to cut interest rates this year, yet risk assets, he says, are exhibiting an unprecedented rally with European stocks trading near all time highs and US stocks recovering recent losses. We expect a reversal in risk sentiment and the market retesting last year's low over the coming months. David Shapiro, you hate these you don't hate them that's too strong a word you're skeptical of these pundits because they've been saying that for six months to a year this is nothing new uh we've been hearing the same story repeatedly about uh, you know about tighter financial conditions declining earnings relatively high valuations and so on but listen to jamie diamond in his latest letter what he says about something like artificial intelligence, hmm. saying that he, they welcome it. Now, I'm just quoting from, I haven't read his full letter, but I'm quoting from an article that I read in Bloomberg's. And uh, he's saying that um, they, they can find massive uses for it and how it's going to change their marketing, uh, how it's going to help them determine or um, investigate in a head of fraud and so on. Why, why, I, bring this all, why I bring this up? And it's the same thing we were talking about batteries. Diane, I don't want to go back to this, but I mean, you know, Elon, Elon Musk is, is now talking to CATL, which is the Chinese manufacturer, to start manufacturing batteries and lithium batteries in the United States. So I say there are so many technological drivers. There's so many drivers in the world of um, in, in, in health, in diagnostics, in um, medical devices. So much is happening there which is now making the headlines. So we going back and saying, you know, the same story about earnings are going to come under pressure. And everybody's now starting to look ahead and, and look at what's going to happen when all of this passes. So I think, I, I, I think, I think they missed the boat. You know, to be honest, if I would have listened to them um, in last year or something, I mean, we're up, what, 15% on the NASDAQ? A lot of the stocks are even up. NVIDIA are up 70 80% and so on. You know, it's happened. It's there and it continues okay. to happen. David, can, yeah, I, have the re- can yep. I have the rebuttal on this one? So yeah. I, to, to paraphrase you, it's happened. Um, so the first quarter of this year, NASDAQ's up what, between 16 20%, depending when you look at it. Uh, what did really well in the first quarter of 2023? Well, Bitcoin is by far and away your best investment. It's gone yeah. up massively. Then you have Kathy Wood's ARK Financial, where all the weirdest and wonderful, greatest next new idea tech companies sit, and that's beaten the NASDAQ. She's finally beaten the NASDAQ over one some period of time. Um, gold's going up. Um, Kenya Treasury's made you money. And then you start looking further down the list, and emerging markets weren't that great, and Russell 2000 wasn't that great. And, you know, the developed markets, particularly tech-led stocks, did very well. Now, they're all the same trade. It's the long duration trade. It's the argument that the Fed's going to cut rates because the recession's coming. What I find so interesting about markets at the moment is, and to, let's go back to the start of today, we had this labor data. It was Jobs data was far worse than expectations. 
And the markets immediately popped up because that's great. The Fed's going to cut rates. Give us the details, yeah, please, because I didn't know there was a, a data on a Tuesday. I thought it was Thursdays. No, it's the JOLT, it's the JOLTS data. So it's oh, the job the opening data. data. Okay. Yeah. And, the, and the job opening data came in at 9 million and they're expecting 10 million, whatever it was. And now mm. there's only 1.67 new jobs for every one person looking. So it's, you know, it's, it's reducing. It was 2.2. It's come down to 1.7. Hallelujah. We can now cut rates and the world can go back to normal again. What I'm saying in all that, though, is and back to the article that you just quoted. You said they're saying the market's going to go back to 2022 levels. I have no idea if the market's going back to those levels. But what I can tell you is the market's rallied on the back of a rate cut from the Fed. When you get poor jobs data, what it's probably indicating that a recession or slowing growth is coming around the corner, and yet markets don't yeah. want to price in any poor earnings. We so priced in. We priced in a year ago. No, but okay, that, that's not true though, David. Okay, so yes and no, you are right. Okay, it's something we're all. We've been talking with. about a recession since June last year. No, no, no. But let, let's look at last year, right? So the S and P is now down from its. It's down ten percent or something from the long twelve month view. Okay, and if you look at where interest rates have gone from from naught to five percent. That is a de-rating, would you agree, from an interest uh -huh. rate perspective? Sure. So how much should share prices fall because interest rates are now higher? I don't know the answer to that. But if your argument is we've priced in earnings declines for 2023 uh -huh. and we've priced in a, in a rate, a higher rate environment, I would argue that 10% doesn't seem enough for that. We're also about to get quarter one earnings in the States. And from everything I've read this morning, those EPS numbers are going to be some of the worst numbers the market's been expecting in years. And worse than their 10-year averages, worse than their 20-year the averages. The you talking about it, we know about it. If Joanne Bainham is talking about it. <laughs> Don't you knows. underestimate Joanne Bainham, Shapiro. <laughs> Do you understand she what I'm knows. saying? No, no. If Joanne's telling me about okay. it, then the whole market All right. knows. Okay, let's, okay, so fair point. So there's no okay. surprise. If, if people are talking about it in the price, and I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But where I am struggling with, is this constant raising of earnings for the later part of 2023 and into 2024. And yet we are fantastic that jobs data is bad, fantastic that earnings are falling, and yet we seem to think it's all going to recover in five minutes. This is the world we've come used to, that, that bad news doesn't stick around. It just all reverses in six months. And I guess if you think that there's some damage to the world economy, and back to the kind of the argument that I think we're living in a world where fiscal spending is more important than monetary policy, I, I think we have a situation where it gets tougher on companies. We're going to have, I think, well, the bottom line is, I think wage pressure stays higher for longer, and that's really bad for margins. I think markets are pricing in way too, they're being far too optimistic on earnings. Okay, David, uh, you have the right to disagree, but I can hear that you're silent, which is very, very unusual. No, so, I'm, so what, no, I'm not. I thought no. Been, what, I, 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 to a large extent, and a lot of what Joanne says, we already know. We've been pricing this in for a long time. We're going beyond that. And what I do find is that markets move a lot faster than we used to. Yes. Um, we we okay, no, correct David, a lot faster. Okay. So we yeah. have a forward PE multiple now, much Forget higher than averages. Forget about forward PEs. Okay. Forget All about right. that. It's a valuation tool. Do you agree? No. And that valuation tool. Wait a second. You just said you don't think a forward PE is a valuation I, tool, David. I what, don't. What, you've been I, reading I've new books or something? PE. What's happening? No, I've scrapped PEs a long time ago. <laughs> well, maybe I should have because it doesn't no, seem to work right. that well anymore. <laughs> okay, you too. Yeah, okay, so. I think those metrics that we used to, that's why you've got to re-look at the market and say, what 
is it telling us? Why is it rejecting the arguments that Joanne is making? What does it tell us? And okay. I think to me that's that you know that's that's the mystery of markets, and that's the compelling you know the attraction of markets is that uh, all the we're looking in the same way as Powell uh, and other central bankers were looking at 1970s, you know the playbook from there, mm. and it's, it didn't work or it's not working. I think the same thing's happening when we look at markets. I just looked, one of my favorite companies is L'Oreal or Estee Lauder of those. Mm. And I just looked, L'Oreal, they didn't care. They've just bought, do you know Aesop? A-E-S-O-P. I was introduced to Aesop by my daughter-in-law in uh, Australia. No, what does loves it do? It. What is it? It's, it's, um, it's, it's, what would you call it? It's cosmetics. It's creams. Cosmetics. It's makeup. It's makeup, ma- not yeah. makeup, but uh, creams and creams and lotions and things like that. You know, <laughs> I hope uh, of eternal youth. I, and, and they've just bought this company for 2.5 billion, you know, which, uh, I thought was a little boutique. Now, when they go out, they don't care about PEs. They don't care about anything. They look at a business with value where people are buying it and they go oh, come out on, and expand. Da- David, David, mm. come on. Remember in 2000, no one cared about valuations either. You know, that it didn't matter. 23 years ago. It, no, no, it, it was. <laughs> but, but what I'm highlighting, since then we've had mm. a monetary policy experiment the world has never seen before. Mm. We've had interest rates at basically zero and we've now changed direction on that. We, we've... All we can remember is the playbook that tells us every time the Fed cuts rate, markets go up. There have been plenty of times in markets where that's not been the case, where economic data has been poor. I I agree with you. There is probably something we're all missing. And being bullish has been the right strategy. But if I look at institutional buyers in the U.S., it's the retail pundit that's got involved in the market. What is this new thing they've got now with trading? You've got one-day options. And you've got one-day options now, but I think being the biggest trading part of the market in the U.S., these things expire after one day. This feels like a giant casino to me. I think you're quite right, <laughs> Joanne. I think you're quite right. I'm going to have to intervene here because you said to me, Joanne, let's get back to the markets. And immediately you go off the markets and start talking about all sorts of other little semantics that uh, we are very interesting. And I want you, the next time that we speak, during a quiet period, which it will be for, for a couple of weeks, I want you, David, to start the argument with why you've suddenly ditched price-earnings ratios because you've been in the market. You're the most experienced person I speak to on this podcast site. And suddenly, something that you've known for decades, you've thrown out the window. So don't comment upon it now. I want the next time you two to say what are the most reliable indicators when valuing a stock? Not a macroeconomic situation. Is it free cash flow? Is it cash to book? What on earth is it? So, the markets today. Joanne, <laughs> the dollar rand is 17.95, which is a half a percent gain for the US dollar. The British pound against the rand is, goodness me, 22.43, a one and a quarter percent gain for the pound. Euro rand is 19.67, up 1.1 percent for the euro. The euro dollar is 109.55, and that's the euro gaining by just over half a percent. On the downside uh, today, US stock markets, but David's going to give me the live stuff, but because uh, I've only got a 15-minute delay, but most of them over a half a percent weaker. Gold is a, is a great story. I know one person that I speak to every Wednesday who's going to be jumping through hoops on this one. 2019 suddenly, up 1.8%, $35 an ounce. Platinum up $43 an ounce to 10.24. Palladium spoiling it a bit, down a couple of dollars to 14.66. Now the oil price, David and I's fictitious short-term trade of shorting, suddenly doing quite well because West Texas crude is 8004 
which is down half a percent and brent crude oil is 84 dollars 22 which is down 0.8 percent natural gas also down by 0.4 percent and what else have we got copper down two and a half percent supposedly this is the you know the old school metal that is so new school uh, but suddenly falling in a heap and that's all to do with the world's economy. U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield. This is interesting. It's a yeah. it's, it's a 2.1% fall, or seven yeah. basis points, to 3.36%. The South African 10-year, on the other hand, holding steady with a slightly weaker round. Well, not slightly weaker, a weaker round. 9.92%. Uh, S&P 500 futures. Yeah. Down nearly 0.6%. Yeah. And Bitcoin, which uh, Joanne mentioned earlier on, being the best investment, I think it was down at 15,000, 16,000 at one stage. Three, four months ago is now 28,014, which is down just very slightly on the day. David, what have been the movers on the JSC today, individual stocks-wise? I will tell you in a second. I was just looking at the two-year in the United States. And? Which is down 13.4 uh, pips. What does that mean for the yield today? curve? 3.8, well, that's come down quite a lot, yeah. That's mm. come down dramatically. That's why your 10 years like that as well. So um, slightly flattening. But, I mean, it's, it's, it came down on those job numbers that uh, Joanne mentioned, concerns that, you know, U.S. is shrinking faster. So uh, which will reinforce the idea that they will, you know, the, the Fed will stop uh, raising rates. Yeah. Sooner than later. Anyway, how many gold shares are where it's all happening? In fact, all the gold and platinum counters, and and once more, you know, gold uh, leading the way. Harmony up about six percent. Um, Amgro Platts up nearly four point eight percent. Goldfields up four and a half percent. So that's where the gains were made. Uh, Durban Deep up four and a half percent. Not many fallers. Lindsay, you know, I, I, I have on various screens, the one screen that I watch are the top 80 stocks in terms of capitalization. Yes. And I think this is a seven for one. You know, seven gainers for every one loser. So very few shares under pressure today. So, but on a low volume, exceptionally low volume as well. But a, a very strong day across the board. Your volume is about 20 billion, but it all came towards the end. I've got ACI down 5.4%. Is that ex-dividend? I don't know. Uh, Sandam down 35 uh, Standard Bank 2% weaker nearly. And BHP Group down one and three quarters percent I really should get my ex-dividend screen that up. Is, that is yeah, that is ex-dividend. five rand 80. So, uh, Which one? You know, that's, that, that you're talking about ACI. ACI, yeah. I didn't think mm. it would fall 5.4% in this uh, current market environment. Joanne, you don't look at individual stocks on a daily basis, do you? You're more longer term and more macro. No, I look more at index levels. So I don't, also don't look at South Africa that much anymore because um, to the conversation we had last week, yeah. I find it quite frightening how much the JSC is now dominated by shares that aren't even earning their living here. I, it's quite amazing. I had a discussion with a client this week. I said, if you're very bullish resources or you're bullish Chinese equities, let's talk about the JSC. But the domestic part of the JSC is so small today, it doesn't really move the needle mm. unless you're buying a manager that only buys those stocks. So it's getting more and more difficult to be in the JSC. And David, I hate to tell you that, but I just think it has to stand yeah. on its own feet against world mm. markets. And if we think our shares here are cheaper and better companies, that's great. But it can't be a local business offshore anymore because local shares are offshore shares. David um, came up with a stat a couple of weeks ago, and I mean, may have mentioned it last week, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself or repeating David's uh, hard work. Seven stocks um, 
make up 66% of the market capitalization of the JSC Securities Exchange. Was that right, David? It's the, the top seven, yeah. yeah. The top yeah. seven, so the, 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 top, the highest capitalized shares on the JSC, the top seven of them make up 66% and none of them do any business here. They mm. don't do any business in South Africa. But, and David, we, you also shared something on Twitter this week that I saw, maybe it was last week, about the percentage of shares. And this is not the top seven, mm. but this is the whole market. Yeah. And I yeah. think you highlighted that 75% of the shares yeah. in the JSC at the moment only have 25% of their earnings in South Africa. I was liberal in that. In other words, <laughs> the reason I put 25% so I could include MTN. But okay. the, the vast majority of the shares do very little business in South Africa. But then if so, you go back to the argument, and you're sitting in front mm, of a client, okay, mm, and you want to invest for them, I completely yeah. understand why you'd want a fixed income in a client's yeah. portfolio because mm. the yields and offer in South Africa in real terms are incredibly mm. attractive. And if you can put them into structured products, I mean, not structured products, tax-efficient yeah. vehicles, you know, mm. that interest is tax-free. But mm. the reality is if you're sitting in front of a client with global equities, South Africa has to rank inside that global equity conversation. And if you really love um, Ampala Platinum or Amplats, then buy it by all means. Mm. But do it because you really want to be in Platinum shares. Don't do it because you say it's a local share. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm coming yeah. from now. I think we've got yeah. to relook at how we run client I, portfolios. Yeah. What I do, I do it slightly different to you, but very much the same. On that basis, I'm saying if you buy South Africa and you're buying those particular shares, which could be processed, NASPERS, British American Tobacco, AB, you don't want, maybe you don't want those. I'm saying, you're already offshore, so why don't go for better quality? You know, yes. why do you want to go for Richmond where you could go for LVMH, LVMH or something like that? So, you know, I'm saying you're already there, so don't think about going offshore. You know, just think about the quality, better, going for better quality offshore stocks. But now, there's another argument as well, though. A number of fund managers tell you that you shouldn't have more than 35% global equities in your, I mean, offshore in your portfolios. But if your if your local shares are actually offshore mm. shares that just happen to be listed here, I think that argument doesn't make sense. And no. I think in the no. world of, of choice, you, if you had open architecture and you weren't constrained by 45%, you should buy the best oil company in the wor yeah. world, the best yeah. tobacco company yeah. in the world. And My if you point. are constrained, well then – but I think the other thing that I just want to highlight to people listening to this is if you're buying, inverted commas, local shares, which we both argued isn't really local – you're not actually hedging your RAND risk because those shares are going to move mm -hmm. with offshore markets. They're not going to move with a local RAND economy. Nah. So if you want to asset liability match, you're better off in fixed income. And I think people mm -hmm. aren't really thinking about this conversation. Nah. Nah. No, I, they think, are. I think you put it very, very articulately. I must, I must <laughs> say that. that no, what, what I'm saying to you is that my, my, my argument is uh, where where we are investing locally, where we do have to have cash. Uh, I'm I'm going to fix investments, and I think that a blended and you know, Joanne, the one thing people forget is that your your fixed interest market is very liquid. It's it's you know, especially for our clients, we're not investing on behalf of the PRC. I'm not putting exactly, in there. yeah. But I mean, if you look at a blended mix of, uh, I, I go for 2035s, 2037s, and 2040s, you get a clean yield. In other words, that's the yield that you get in cash. Well, you'll get it twice a year, so over a year. It's 10, over 10, it's 10.65%. Okay? Yeah, There's no, nothing I agree. wrong with that. 
No, it's that's absolute, what I'm saying. It's there. You know, why do you have to look for anything else? Oh, yes, you might have tax issues. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to go into yes. that. But on a gross, on a, you know, on a net, on a gross basis, that's a huge, that's a one. And, and you know what? They've held well. They've they held are. incredibly well. They have, and I think, but it's the power of compounding, right? The yeah. eighth one of the world. If you've got a very high interest rate to start off with, it does give you a lot of margin for safety yeah. if things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if SA bonds blow out because of whatever reasons, so too will the retail shares and so yeah. too will banking shares. Uh, and there's lots, you know, so there's lots of ways you can run a portfolio for a client by giving growth in the best equities possible and having cash yields in South Africa that are very attractive. Yeah. And I mean, I speak to fixed income managers all the time who tell me that they're getting equity-like returns in fixed income investments. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's something well worth. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, we, absolutely. Okay, I fixed income is one to look at. Yeah, because yeah. People, yeah, people don't talk about fixed <laughs> income because they they perceive it as boring and pedestrian. But no, obviously not. Given but, what you but two you have know, just said, Lindsay, the, where the misperception is, yes, is that if you buy long-dated stocks. You know, that you stuck there for, for, no, you can get out tomorrow. You know, the markets are liquid. Yeah, very liquid. You, know, you, very you don't liquid. have to stay. So you can play it as long as you want to, you know. And yes, there are risks in fixed interest markets, but not, I think we've mitigated those risks. And therefore, I find it, uh, I find it exceptionally attractive at the moment to go, you know, to stay here in, in, in those instruments. If okay. you are going to stay here. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll, we'll expand just upon one, this maybe on a specialist. Sorry, um, yes, go on. What, just one thing I would stress, though. I think it, back to the liquidity argument, it's very liquid in, in sovereign fixed income, but it's not yeah. very liquid in corporate bonds. No, uh, no, so no. if you are going further down the capital structure, please no. be very careful because those instruments are not liquid and no. the yields and offer in South Africa are not attractive relative to what you get from much more liquid instruments. No. So just be anyone listening to this, be very weary. It's no. We're saying very much government debt no. and, and various instruments like that to be very careful of corporate debt. That fixed income health warning was brought to you by Joanne Bainham from <laughs> Sterling <laughs> Private Wealth. <laughs> Thank you very much, you two. David, just before we go, can we have the JSC closing indices, please? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, we closed up 1.1%, 77459, with most of the gain or most of the push coming from resources. The resource 10 was up 1.6%. But the precious metals, such as the gold and platinum, that index, up uh, 4.1%. But gains right across the board. Um, banks good. very strong as well, up 1.1%. Industrial steady. But a, in a good day with, as I said, gainers out doing num- uh, losers by about 7 to 1. Long may it continue. Never mind JP Morgan. Um, just uh, trade <laughs> what you see on the screen, as uh, Nick Kunza uh, used to say to us, uh, David, and never has it been more apparent in the last 10 trading days or eight or nine trading days, whatever it is. Thank you very much for your time this evening, you two. Uh, Joanne Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth, David Shapiro in Cape Town, and David Shapiro is from Sassman Securities in Johannesburg. And that was the five o'clock shadow. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.